Last week, Jonathan Lampard was preaching and he left you, I'm pretty sure, with the exhortation, be filled with the Spirit. I hope that's what he left you with, because that is in the passage just before what we're about to look at today. And in essence, it says, go on being filled with the Spirit. This is something that we continually press into. It's not just something we we have a little fix every now and again. No, no, no. We continually live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? This is so important. And He is the one that reveals God's Word to us. He is the one that teaches us God's ways. And He is the one who empowers us to live differently. To put on, as we looked a few weeks ago, the new self that is ours in Jesus. He's the one that helps us to do that. And so now, as part of this new family, centered on all that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done, we get to focus on some key areas of life. So today, we're going to look at marriage. Whoa! Aren't you glad you've come? I hope you are. Now, some of you are thinking, hold on, but I'm not married. Don't worry. It's still good for you to know this because you'll know many people who will be married. You know, one day you might even be married yourself. You never know. And actually, even for those of you for whom actually marriage will never be what is the way that you need to go, you still need to know these things because it's actually truth and it's for us as a community. So we're going to be looking at that today. Next week, Rich and Jess are going to be looking at... Um, children and parents, and then the week after that, we've got the wonderful privilege of looking at work, about what it means to be employers and employees, all that wonderful stuff. So we hope it's going to be really practical for you. Now, the passage we're about to look at is probably one of the most contentious and probably least loved passages in the Bible. How many of you have got Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 on your fridge? Houston has. Well done, Houston. Well done, Houston. I like that. Actually, unfortunately, it has been a passage that has often been abused. It's often been taken out of context. It's often been used not in the way that Jesus wanted it to be used, as Paul shares it. It's often been used to oppress rather than release. And we want to hopefully today bring blessing through the passage that we're about to look at. Now, just a couple of comments. We know we're living in an era where there are lots of definitions and confusion about what marriage is. Just want you to tell tell you up front, we are taking what the Bible says as God's pattern for marriage. Not going to explain that. We're just going to say, We believe the Bible, and we're going to live in the good of that, and that's our assumption today. We can talk some more with different ones if you want to understand why we come from that place, but we're just putting that up front. We're coming from where the Bible is on this matter. We believe one man, one woman, joined together in a lifelong union of love and commitment. That's marriage under God. That's what it is. When two people stand up and talk about such matters, you can think a number of things. 
Firstly, that they're experts. We're not experts. Secondly, that they have the ideal, perfect marriage. Do you know, she's lovely. But we're not perfect. <laughs> we are not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. And do you know what? We can also think that if I just take what they say and transplant it into my context, it'll all work. No. Let me just say this. We're learners. We've been married now for 32 years. And we still, well, nearly 32 years. We should have a picture there, actually. I, I, hopefully that, uh, yeah, we're still learners. There we are. Goodness me. How times have worn better for some of us than others. But, um, and we're just learning, actually, that ultimately it's only following Jesus and living his way that brings life and health to our marriage. It's he who covers our mistakes. It's him who changes our heart towards each other. He's the one that gives us strength to try again. And he's the one that helps us to keep going, even when it doesn't feel very good. There is no such thing, this side of glory, as the perfect marriage. But there is a perfect saviour. And he can help you grow. He can help you grow each day in your relationship with each other. And you know what? Even preparing this week, actually, we've been really blessed, haven't we? It's really helped us as we've shared together. And so that's the basis of where we want to start. Do you want me to start with that? Or do you want to come in with the bit that you want to do? You come in with a bit you want to do. I'll come and pick up the other bit in a minute. I've, I've, I've had too much of my voice already, so come and let you bring in. This is my lovely wife, Ginny, by the way. Let's just... Uh... Right, so we're just going to read the first part of what it says in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. And it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Um, there's a little picture of what you might have in your head when you think about submission. Maybe a few things like that. But actually... Uh, that isn't really what submission means in this sense in the Bible. And the key is in the text. Uh, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. So in thinking about this, what I've been thinking is, as a wife or as a would-be wife, we need to start by asking, what is our submission to God like? We need to take time to nurture our relationship with God first. I know that when I'm not actively pursuing loving Jesus first and seeking to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, my default is to start living in my own strength. When I start living in my own strength, I am prone to frustration, worry, 
trying to work things out in my own thinking and my own doing. I'm guessing that resonates for quite a few of us. Almost imperceptibly, my focus shifts from living to honour and please Father to me and my needs and how I think things should be done. And we almost don't spot it. Ultimately, I start to take control. And unsurprisingly, then, maybe my relationship with Richard is not quite what it should be. Because what I've kind of done is, in the situation where it's God first, marriage second, I've kind of shifted it all round. I've shifted it all round, and I've put me somewhere in the middle, rather than God first, marriage second. In the Bible, there are several examples of where wives didn't get the relationship with father first. Just as a few examples, we have Eve in Genesis chapter 3, who listens to the serpent who says to her, did God really say? And that's all about authority, God's authority, questioning God's authority over her life, over her life with Adam. We have Rebecca in Genesis chapter 27. She favored her son over obedience to her husband. And it's easy for us to do that, to actually put our children in place of our husbands. In uh, Acts 5 in the New Testament, Sapphira uh, colludes with Ananias to seek to deceive God and the church over money. We can put money, career, home, possessions, shoes, holidays, in place of God. So what should our submission to God mean that it looks like? Well, I came up with these four things. Not earth-breaking, not original, but hopefully helpful. First of all, to delight in him. To be a worshipper, first and foremost. To worship God. To honor God through acts of service. To rejoice in his love for me. So be secure in my identity as a child of God first, and to admit that I need him, to be humble, okay? It's choices. It's all about choices. And those choices are really good for us, really, really good for us. Amazingly, Richard tells me, he's not listening at the moment, so it's fine, that one of the things that attracted me, uh, him to me was evidence of my love and commitment to Jesus, and I want to make sure that it stays that way. That when he looks at me, what he sees is somebody who is Jesus first, worshipping first. So I have to cultivate my relationship with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit and submitting to the Father's authority in my life. So Paul gives us this instruction to learn to submit to our husbands. And I do say it is learn to submit to your husbands. And it is an instruction. Uh, what I'm about to say is going to be a bit shooting from the hip because we haven't got a lot of time. So it's going to be quite direct. Um, and, but I hope it will give you things to go away and have a think about. It's also quite a challenge because verse 24 says to us, in everything, not just in the bits we want or when we feel like it. And in verse 33, later it talks about respecting our husbands too. So there's quite a lot there to have a think about. But I want to say to you, it's not about feelings, actually. It's about 
decisions. It's about choices. It goes way beyond what I feel on any given day. So the first way we can submit to our husbands, unsurprisingly, is to love him. Love is choice. I choose to love Richard. Most of the time, it's easy. But sometimes I don't like what he does, or what he says, or how he makes me feel, or an attitude he has, but I choose to love him anyway. It's also my choice, with God's help, not to love anyone else other than God before or instead of him. That is my choice. If you have ever been to a wedding service that Richard has uh, conducted, you will know that Richard often says he's going to ask the couple getting married to do something really strange. That is to love somebody else more than they love each other. And I love the fact that Richard loves Jesus more than he loves me. For me, that is really important. Please note, I said that, Jesus, uh, that Richard loves Jesus more than he loves me. Sorry, not that he loves the church or his ministry, his trips to Uganda and Malawi, not those things that he loves Jesus more than he loves me. I love being with him. I love doing things with him. But that's not to say that I can't and don't do things on my own. Many of you know that I, um, I work full-time. I have quite a responsible job. Uh, I don't have to live in Richard's shadow. I don't have to live in his pocket. He's able to go away. I am actually able to cope when he goes away. But I love it when he comes back. I love it when Richard suggests an unplanned day trip, when he fixes stuff, when he cooks amazing meals. I still love our sex life. I love him enough to share my chocolate with him. And these days, I love it when he leans on me on the sofa and he nods off. He's not perfect. He never will be. But here's the, th here's the rub. It is not my job to change him. That is not my job. My job is to love him. The most important thing for me is to tell him often that I love him, I love you, that I'm thankful to God for him, and I'm thankful to God for putting us together. And there are three things I find particularly helpful in this area. The first is to remember the promises I made on the 11th of July, 1987. I promised to love him for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I promise to love and to cherish. I promise to forsake all others. That was my promise. And so for me to go back to what I promised is really powerful. Also to show appreciation often for a cup of tea, for a nice meal, for driving us home safely, whatever it is to show appreciation and to keep a short record of wrongs. To put it bluntly, life is too short and your marriage is too important to hold grudges. That's basically it. I'm not going to say any more about that than that. So love him. Honor him. So to honor Richard means I'm saying yes to his leadership of our marriage, our family and our home. It's good and right 
that we affirm our husbands in being the men that God wants them to be. So walk with care. Show your husband whether he's good, bad, indifferent, a Christian or not, respect. Uh, A writer, Larry Crabb, said this, a man's most basic need is to feel adequate, competent, and respected. His worst fear is to be considered incompetent, inadequate, belittled, rejected, and dominated. I think in the current climate, that's quite a powerful thing to say. Very powerful. In honouring, we need to accept that we're not going to change our husbands by nagging, sulking, demanding, arguing, or dropping subtle hints, (laughs) or even giving them the silent treatment. That is not honouring of your husband. Um, Some of you may be familiar with a, a really good book. I would recommend it to you, The Power of a Praying Wife, which came out of the writer Stormy O'Martian's own frustration in her marriage. She wanted her husband to be different. And what she realized was that actually all she could do was pray for him and look to change herself. I thoroughly recommend the book to you. I'm going to refer to it in just a moment. So honoring your husband, what might that look like? Always speaking respectfully to or of your husband, whether that's on your own, in front of your children, if you have them, and certainly publicly. I recall a time when I felt that Richard was being a little bit harsh in the way that he was disciplining Simon over something. And all the time it was going on, I was itching to say something. But I didn't. I didn't want to undermine him as the head of the home. Simon went to his room... The dust settled, and a little bit later, I explained what I felt. Richard listened. He went to Simon's room, apologized, made up. So three questions, really, to ask yourself. Do I honor my husband with my words? Do I honor my husband with my attitudes? Do I honor my husband in my actions? Am I showing him that honor and respect? So thirdly, to help him. God's plan was and still is that we are our husband's helper. Genesis 2.18 said, The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. Very good. I will make a helper suitable for him. Nothing else that God had made did the job, so he made woman right? Nothing else that he had made did the job, so he made woman. My husband needs help. Definitely. More specifically, he needs my help. And I like helping, and quite a lot of wives, I think, do. What your husband needs as help will be different. For Richard, it includes giving him time, space, and opportunity to externally process, because he likes to talk things through. Uh, taking care of certain things at home so that he doesn't have to worry about them, laundry, bills, letters, admin, uh, dealing with birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, lots of things to do with the children when they were growing up. i got it made, haven't yeah. I, guys? Come on. Making copious amounts of tea when he's preparing sermons, doing his PowerPoint slides for him. 
and basically encouraging him. So one time a few years ago, Richard was quite low, uh, quite anxious. Um, I didn't really know what to do or say. I went back to reading The Power of Praying Wife. And I started praying the prayers in there for him. Really helpful when you don't know what to pray, that there's some words there that you can pray and feel the power of them. And God led me to realize that one of the things I could do was to start leaving little messages and Bible verses in his lunchbox, under his aftershave bottle, all in little places where he would find them randomly during the day. And uh, I knew that he would find them, and I would keep praying. And I know they worked, and I'll tell you how I know they worked, because he's still got some of them, these little scraps of paper. So Proverbs 31 gives us a really helpful guidelines of how we can help our husbands as wives of noble character. We can look after the food, the estate, clothing, furnishings, the moral education of the household. And that this wife, we need to realize, she worked really hard and had her own clothes making business. This is the modern woman in Proverbs. Okay? So it's not exclusive or prescriptive. In our house, you will know that Richard is the chief chef. And he's very, very good at it. So it's all about working out what works for you. Being a suitable helper means I will compliment him. He will compliment, compliment, and compliment, compliment me. We're shaped into pieces of a jigsaw that fit together. Right? It's about releasing him to do his work. And I am, as Proverbs 31, 12 says to bring him good, not harm, all the days of my life. So maybe it's timely to ask you, how are you helping your husband at the moment? I'll leave that with you. Over wow, to you. goodness me. Isn't she amazing? Goodness. Wow. I realize that there's thousands of questions that you're going to have. And that's fine. We're happy to talk afterwards. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the husband's role. And I want to start by coming back to verse 21. Because verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And actually, that is the heading over this passage. It's, if you like, the way in which wives submit and husband's love. Because those two things, submission and love, are, if you like, different sides of the same coin. In that we mutually reverence each other and submit to one another because of our love for Jesus. That's what this is about. I just want to say something about the word submission. It's not a popular word in our culture, is it? Submission is a boo word. It really is. No one likes to think that they are submitting. But you know, in the Bible, submission is never imposed by another onto an individual. It's always freely offered as a choice and a response. That's really important. So no one is calling anybody, you must submit to me. No, no, no. We get to do this. We have the choice to respond out of reverence for Christ. Secondly, it's always in the context of a community 
of submission. It's mutual submission one to each other. Even here, wifely submission is in the context of husbands sacrificing themselves for their wives in love. In fact, I think us guys get the tougher task because we are to love our wives as Jesus loves the church, gave himself up for her, sacrificed him for her to make the bride of Christ pure, holy, radiant, without blemish. That is a tough job. But it's the complement of the submission which wives give. And it comes when husbands also, alongside that, love their wives in that way. And whilst submission in our context is very countercultural and seemingly self-limiting, it is actually the most releasing thing in the world. To give yourself to another and serve the needs of another is not weakness, but it's ultimate strength. Do you know, Jesus did that. I love the bit where he's at the table. His disciples have got smelly feet. No one's going to take the task of washing feet. And yet Jesus, it says at the start of the passage, knew where he'd come from, knew who he was, knew where he was going back to. And so he got up, put a tea towel around him, got down on his knees, and he washed his disciples' feet. That is submission and service. That is strength. That is power. And that's what we're called to be as we submit to one another. And you know what? It is very, very limited. I've got a quote, which we haven't got time to read, from Richard Foster. But you know, it says this. um, Submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. That's an amazing quote. So many of us always want our own way. And you know what? It's a joy sometimes not to have to do that. So, I haven't got a lot of time, but I also want to say this. Husbands, it talks about, in verse 25, it says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And so the first thing I want to say to us guys is this. Love your wives. Love, love, love your wives. And I have discovered that Ginny likes being loved. It's taken me a few years to realize this, but she loves being loved. And it seems to work every time when I love her. Now, I know there are some people who, sadly because of the way life has treated them, because of things that have happened don't always understand how to receive love. And we we, we need to be obviously very aware of that and to help people in that place. But I know that at the heart of all of us is a need to be loved and a desire to be loved. 
Wives, I know you love to be loved by your husbands. And it's our privilege to do that. Now, you know, love clearly has an emotional bit to it. You know, it has the romance. It has the bit that makes you feel a little bit wobbly from time to time when you look at your partner. I still look at those big blue eyes. Well, that's, you know, that's not the extra weight, no. But I look at those big blue eyes, and, and I, you know, they're still amazing. But, you know, in the Bible, love is not just an emotion. Love is action. Love is a doing word. It is something that is proactive, and it does things to demonstrate its commitment. And guys, what I want to say to you is this. Learn to love your wife uniquely. You need to find out about her. What makes her tick? You need to find out the things that make her feel special. The things that make her feel appreciated. And each wife, each, each one is unique. I have a very low-maintenance wife. What do I mean by that? I don't have to buy her loads of presents. Cooking her a meal and chocolates does the job. Some of you have got a tougher task. Some really appreciate, obviously, the thought and the time taken in buying presents. Look, whatever it is, there are languages of love that we can all find out about each other. And I want to encourage you as husbands to uniquely find that out. And, you know, from time to time, it's really good to ask these questions. What are the things that I do as a husband that makes you feel loved and secure? At the same time, what are the things that I do that make you feel, actually, that you're not loved? That you're not taken, as it were, and appreciated for who you are? I want to encourage you. Have some serious conversations around those questions. Secondly, alongside love, and there's so much more I could have said about that, the second thing I want to encourage you to do is to keep pursuing your wife. Do you know what? We spend so much of our days before we get married always pursuing and going after our, our, our fiancé or girlfriend or whatever we, we, we call each other, and... Then when we get married, it's almost as if sometimes that can slow down. But I want to encourage you, keep pursuing after your wife. When you read about Jesus, he's always on the front foot when he's going for the church. He's not passive. He's not backing off. He is the one that takes the initiative. He is the one that goes out of his way to pursue his bride, the church. And we are to do the same as men of God. You know, when things are not right in our marriage, whose responsibility is it is to take the initiative in putting it right? It's ours, guys. We need to be the ones that are the first to say, look, I know it hasn't been great recently. I am sorry. I want to make sure now that we're taking steps to put this right. If there's things that are not working, it's my responsibility to get alongside and say, right, come on, 
We're going to take initiative here to get this right. You see, Jesus didn't say to us, the church, well, do you know what? You sinned, you messed up, you sorted out. He didn't say that. He said, do you know what? Yeah, you got it wrong. But I'm coming after you now. And I'm the one that's coming to rescue you and indeed to make it clean all over again. We're to be like Jesus, guys. And that means that we're the first to say sorry. We're the first to repent. We're the first to make sure that we are taking responsibility for our families. Pursuing means that we are not passive. One of the biggest challenges, I think, in marriage is that so many men are passive. Do you know what? We're all guilty of that from time to time. But what Jesus encourages us to do is to pursue and to actively take responsibility. And the final thing I want to say, because we are pretty much out of time, is we are to pastor or shepherd our wives. What does that mean? It means that we are to be the ones that look after, that if you like, take responsibility again for making sure that our wives and our families are growing in the ways of the Lord. Jesus went out of his way to make the church beautiful, radiant, and holy. And we, as guys in our marriages, get the privilege of leading our families to Jesus. We need to be the ones that when our wives look at us, we're on the front foot with Jesus. You know, women love to follow men who are following Jesus. Just as I said, or Ginny said, that I was attracted to the way that Ginny followed Jesus. That was such an attraction for me. It's true the other direction. Women love to see men who are passionately after Jesus. And we get the privilege of leading in that place in our families. And so we do need to take responsibility for how, how, how do our children get taught the Bible? We might not do it all ourselves, but how does that happen? We take responsibility in our families. How do we pray as families? We may not do it all ourselves, but how do we take responsibility in our family situation for prayer and the things that we know are true as Christians to be at the foundation? Guys, it's our job. We take that. We get the privilege of that. We get the privilege of getting our families to church on time on Sunday. We take responsibility for that. We take responsibilities. We don't blame anybody else. We take responsibility. There are so many things that we could pick out of this. But guys, we get the privilege of loving we get the privilege of pursuing, and we get the privilege of pastoring. We probably need to wrap things up, don't we? Why don't we stand up? There's a lot there. I think what we're going to have to do is pick this up in another context, because I know there's so much that we want to teach on. But I just want to encourage um, us right now, wherever we are, just to be open... Is it okay to get the band back up? Is that okay? I realize we're a little bit there, but I would love to have a song if that's okay. Can we have Amazing Grace? 
Is that all right? I'd love to have that. Right now, we recognize that there are different ones in different places. We recognize that without the grace of God, so much of this is just kind of rules and regulations. Without the relationship of Jesus, it doesn't actually change the heart. But what I want to do right now is if, if you're a married couple here today, or you're in the process of getting married, maybe you're in a relationship right now, just would like you to hold hands with the person that you're married to. I hope it's the right person. And if you're obviously not in that place, that's okay, because what we want to do today is just to think about marriage. There are other, other um, very, very equally powerful places in life where God places us, where we can serve and bless. But we just love you to bless marriages today. If you're single, you're here today, and uh, you're not uh, in that place, we just want you to bless those around you. So just put your hands out to, to those who are married and those who are standing before you. And in the name of Jesus right now, we pray strength into every marriage in this room. Lord Jesus, we thank you that out of all that you have done for us, all the spiritual blessings that you have won for us, we get to build rock-solid marriages on you. And I pray right now for your grace to be released in power into every marriage represented in this room. Lord, where there is pain and hurt right now, I pray for your grace to heal and restore. I pray for those principles, Lord Jesus, not just to be cold, heartless things to do, but they would come alive in the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would release grace into every broken place. I want to pray right now over every marriage that is struggling that the Lord would restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that where there is tension and discord, that you would bring your harmony and your peace and your breakthrough. And I pray right now that there would be a surge of your spirit releasing love and power and joy and peace into every relationship in this room. I pray, Father, that you would help men and women in marriages to take seriously what you've called them to do. I pray that there would be mutual submission that would reflect itself in wifely submission and husbandly love. That that oneness would be reflected in every place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.